0: If you are new with us, we are in a series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, in way of review, if you are new with us or if you're new online, uh, this is where we have been. Week number one, we looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's called the paraclete, the one that comes along, alongside of us to encourage us and strengthen us when life is difficult. And the takeaway is you're never alone as you fight that good fight of faith. Remember, life is tough. But it's especially tough when you're called to live a holy life in this world, to, to live for the Lord. The good news is, folks, the rest of the world is trying to do it by themselves. They're, they're trying just to navigate life by themselves. We have something in us, a power in us, uh, the Holy Spirit in us, that if the world knew just who resided in us, I told you they would be beating down our door saying, tell me how to get what you have. So we have that power in us. Week number two, we looked at the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Remember John chapter 16, he came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that gives us hope in a world that's out of control We know that the Holy Spirit is at work and that he is changing people's lives so we can have incredible hope in an incredibly messed up world because we know that the answer is not better politics, better science, better education. That's not what's going to change the hearts of people. What's going to change the hearts of people? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that we can have hope. Week number three, we looked at the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He causes us to be born again. He takes us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And the takeaway that week was this: it's the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. Remember, the only thing that you contribute to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Even the faith that you have, the Bible says, is a gift of God. Right? Ephesians two eight nine. For it is by grace you have been saved. Uh, through faith, uh, is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. So when we say that we're saved by grace alone, we mean it. And then we looked at last week the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. What is the will of God according to Paul and 1 Thessalonians? This is the will of God, your sanctification. The Holy Spirit was set to sanctify us, to make us a holy people. And I I posed the question last week if the Holy Spirit's number one priority in your life is your holiness, what's the number one priority in your life? Is it your holiness or your happiness? Because if we're pulling in different directions, if the Holy Spirit is seeking to make you holy and you're going, I just want to be happy, that's a recipe for a very frustrated Christian. That is where we have been and that is where we pick up today. So let me start by just saying, of all the messages in this sermon series, I think this one today perhaps might be the most important and I hope to show you why. So in the book of 1 Kings, we find a most unique set of circumstances unfolding. It's one that we kind of all dream about. God comes to Solomon and says to him ask whatever you want and it's yours. So that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Are you guys with me or what? Was there something on is there something on TV right now? What's going on? So, let's just all be honest. What would you, and I don't want you to answer this, but what would you be tempted to ask for if God came and said, "Hey, you can ask for whatever you want and it's yours." Well, Solomon was given this opportunity, and of course, as you know many of you know, Solomon asked for wisdom, specifically discernment, being able to discern between what is good and evil. So Solomon said this, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great, uh, this your great people. Now what's telling about this is Solomon asked for it, And the Bible says God was incredibly pleased with it, which gives us insight into who God is and what he wants for his children. He wants us to be a discerning people. It says this in 1 Kings, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself for a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor so that you so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. Remember when you were in school and the teacher asked a question and you got it right and because you got it right you got to go to recess early and you're like man that was the ultimate answer to that question. Well Solomon hits the nail on the head. He doesn't ask for all the stuff that our flesh would be tempted to ask for. He asks for discernment between what is good and what is evil. And it so pleased God, God gives him everything else. Now, that gives us a lot of insight into who God is. He's a God that wants us to be a discerning people. Not surprisingly, we see this theme all throughout the Bible. Let me give you an example from the New Testament. What was the, Apostle's, the Apostle Paul's prayer for the early church? Well, it was this. And, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Right there. Now here, what kind of discernment? Well, it tells us in verse 10. So that you may be able to approve what is excellent. In other words, what is good, what is holy and right. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now we as Christians know full well why we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning because we are in the war of all wars, right? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, as Christians, we understand that the spiritual forces of evil are at work in the world. It doesn't take great discernment to look out into the world and go, things are wrong. Turn on the news and it's obvious. But we're not so discerning when it comes to what's happening within our own ranks, within the church. Listen, we know Satan is doing a work out there. We forget that he's doing a work in here. He wants to destroy the bride of Christ. And this is exactly why the Apostle John exhorts Christians, the first century Christians, to do this. And this is our passage for today. It's one simple verse. Church, hear the word of God this morning. 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Amen. Church, I present to you the word of God today. Now, this verse in and of itself is sobering because discerning between spirits is no small matter. I mean, life is hard enough. As I said, it's hard enough, but then you become a Christian and now it's all that much more difficult because we're trying to live a holy life in a fallen world. And then on top of that, we're called to discern between spirits. Are you kidding me? Am I even qualified to do that? How do you do that? And here's where things get especially difficult. Satan is crafty. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. You know this. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now, when it says in verse 15, so it's no surprise if his servants, his servants could be other demons, demonic spirits and forces, but it's also probably a reference to false prophets, false teachers that have infiltrated the church. They come disguised as angels of righteousness or angels of light. How do demonic spirits get in churches? Folks, they get in the church right through the front door with false prophets and false teachers that walk in and begin to teach. It would be so much easier if Satan would just show his true colors, but he's smarter than that. He disguises himself as an angel of light, and that unfortunately makes things far more difficult for you and me. Now, what I'm about to say, I think most of you know, but maybe some of you don't, but maybe it needs just to be stated for all of us. Satan is the great imposter, and here's the kicker. One of the ways that he is going to seek to deceive people is by masquerading as the Holy Spirit. He is going to masquerade as the Holy Spirit amongst the body of Christ, seeking to deceive people. Which means, among other things, not every church or pastor or missionary or ministry that claims they are being led by the Holy Spirit are actually being led by the Holy Spirit. So, in that respect, greater discernment may be needed by believers in judging between good and evil amongst our own ranks then we need judging what is right and wrong, good and evil out in the world. Like I said, judging what is good and evil out in the world, that's simple. A child can do it. Turn on the news, a child can do it. That's bad, mommy. That's bad, daddy. Yes, even a child can discern what is good and evil by looking at the news. Much more difficult is in our own ranks because the Holy Spirit will masquerade. Oh, pardon me, uh, the Satan will masquerade as the Holy Spirit. And if we're not discerning, we will be following demonic spirits and not even realizing it. Because of the internet, also, Christians have access to more preachers, teachers, and ministries than ever before, so greater discernment is needed more than ever before. You've heard it said, and I'm going to say it again, discernment isn't just knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's also knowing the difference between right and almost right. False spirits love to pass off that which is almost right. Because demons know full well that which is almost right is still wrong at the end of the day. You do understand that. That which is almost right is still wrong at the end of the days. Nobody knows that better than Satan and his minions. And so they will work their way into churches and pass off that which is almost right. And if we as Christians are not discerning, we are in trouble. Because we're not just fighting against flesh and blood, we are fighting a war, the war of all wars. So that was the introduction. What I want to do for the remainder of our time is give you a few tests that you can use to discern what is actually the Holy Spirit versus what is perhaps a demonic knockoff. So are you ready? You guys ready? Here we go. Here we go. Now, the first test is a big one, and this is going to be specifically with regard to churches, ministries, uh, uh, missionaries, and so on and so forth. The first test is a big one, and it sounds, what I'm going to say is going to sound kind of obvious, but let me unpack it, and I think it'll hit home to you. The true work of the Holy Spirit always exalts the person and work of Jesus Christ, okay? He always, the Spirit, if the Spirit's truly moving, Christ and his work and his gospel will be exalted. John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of what? Truth. Not the Spirit of what is almost true. The Spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit in this age is to testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Acts 5 says this. This is the gospel. And by the way, look at the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this one passage. The God of our Father raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. This is the gospel. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is what? What? The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Both of these verses are highlighting the same truth. Again, one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit in this age is to testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ. This has led Dr. John MacArthur to say this. So where you see any deficiency, any deficiency in the nature of Christ or in the prominence and preeminence of Christ, this is not the work of the Holy Spirit. The fact is demonic spirits will do everything they can to pull attention away from the person and work of Christ. And here's how cunning they are. They will do anything to pull our attention away from the person and work of Christ up to and including supernatural, super spiritual events. It is telling that in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus describes the false teachers that are going to come to him on judgment day. And they're going to come to him having performed what? signs, miracles, and wonders. And what is he going to say to them? I never knew you. Not everyone who says to me, this is speaking of the false prophets. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, that's the one that enters. But on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And, he will, and, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of, what does that say? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. If we are not discerning, believe it or not, we could be sitting under the ministry or be part of a ministry that is lawless. But you go, but there's signs, miracles, and wonders happening in this ministry. So What? that does not mean for a moment that that ministry is being led by the Holy Spirit. That's how discerning we have to be. Guys, we are in the war of all wars. Our enemy is crafty. He disguises himself as an angel of light and his goal is to not only destroy this world, but to destroy the bride of Christ. Seriously, what better way for Satan to get people's eyes off the person and work of Christ by by distracting them with miracles, signs, and wonders. Look at all the bells and whistles. Whatever you do, let's not talk about Jesus. Or if we do talk about Jesus, it'll be secondary or casual, just a casual reference to him. The holy, if you're ever in a ministry where that ministry, the main focus is the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit does not make his ministry in this life is to testify to the person and work of Christ. He'll always be pointing to the person and work of Christ in this age. Therefore, when you come across a ministry that is all about miracle signs, and wonders supposedly being done in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the, the Holy Spirit really kind of is the primary focus, be on your guard. At best, it's a ministry that's out of balance. Now, let me say something. Every ministry, every pastor, including myself, we let the pendulum swing too far at times. And so every ministry, good ministry, healthy ministry, gets out of balance at times. And so that's, at best, you might just be in a church or a situation that's just out of balance. At worst, you're in a place where you're under the the, the leadership of somebody who's lawless and is under the influence of demonic spirits. Folks, that's what's at stake. That is what is at stake. This also applies to any ministry where a person or personality becomes more central than the person and work of Christ. Now, you know this is exactly what happens in cults. Everything in a cult centers around the leader. Everyone is consumed with the leader. The Branch Davidians, you can go right down the list. It's always about the central figure. But don't think for a moment this kind of thing only happens in cults. It happens in the church all the time. It happens in churches all the time. I tell, and hopefully I model this well. I hope I do. I tell you guys, I jokingly, I say, you, you don't have to call me Pastor Bill. I say, just call me Bill. And then I always joke. I say, or your holiness, whatever comes out, you know, easier. I, you know, I joke when I say that. But my point is, is the last person you want on a pedestal is me. Because I will fall off that pedestal and disappoint you faster than you can blink an eye. Um, so any pastor, preacher, teacher that wants you to do that to them, that should be a red flag to you. The pastor, teacher, or leader who is truly being led by the Spirit will always make the person and work of Christ central to everything. They will exalt Jesus and devalue themselves. This is the very thing we see John the Baptist modeling for us. What did John the Baptist do? Every, John the Baptist started his ministry. Everybody starts running to his ministry. He's super popular, but then Jesus shows up. And what happens? Everybody's leaving John and going to Jesus. So his disciples come to him and say, John, everyone's leaving you. John is a man led by the Spirit. So what does he say? He must increase, but I must decrease. That is a man who is being led by the Spirit. This also applies to those pastors, churches, and ministries that seek to water down the person or work of Christ in order to make Christ or his gospel more appealing to the world. Again, at best... You're in a, in, a, in a church or a situation that's simply out of balance. And, and hopefully there's, with correction, the, the pendulum swings back. And like I said, every ministry at time gets out of balance. Every pastor lets the pendulum swing too far at time. So at best, you're in that situation. At worst, you're in a far more dangerous situation. Any church, pastor, or ministry that claims to be being led by the Holy Spirit but waters down who Christ is, what Christ taught, or the gospel that Christ proclaimed— your discernment, you should be discerning in that situation. Be very, very careful. If you're in a ministry where you don't hear words like sin, repentance, judgment, hell, I'm not saying you want to be in a ministry where that's constantly beat, you know, beat people up with that, but if you're in a ministry where that's not being those things aren't being talked about, folks, what is the gospel? The gospel is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God who's rich in mercy sent his one and only the son into the world to die for us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we're not talking about that, what are we to talk about? If that is not central to the ministry or church or person that you're under, your discernment, your red lights in your head should be going off. A simple rule of thumb is this. The Holy Spirit will never compromise when it comes to the truth. He is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. So he will not compromise. So again, at best, you might be in a situation where I'm just in a ministry or with somebody that's out of balance. At worst, you're in a far more dangerous situation. Be careful. Whenever you see the compromising of truth, specifically with regard to the person and work of Christ, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit is not in that. Now, this leads us to the second test you can employ that will help you discern what is of the Holy Spirit and what is a demonic knockoff. And this has to do with churches, pastors, missionaries, and ministries that are becoming more carnal and worldly and less biblical and holy. Listen, the Holy Spirit has been sent to sanctify the bride of Christ. And so this idea that I'm being led by the Spirit to find a path in which to make Become partners with the world. That's the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is diametrically opposed to all all things carnal and worldly and fleshly. Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to one another. There's they're opposed to one another. And what this means is when a church starts looking like the world, acting like the world, this is not a church or ministry that is being led by the Holy Spirit, period, end of sentence. The true work of the Holy Spirit always opposes that which is carnal or worldly. And that's why, by the way, the the, the places in the Bible where it says those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God, those passages, I said this last week, those passages are always in the context of crucifying the flesh. You'll know you're being led by the Spirit if you're crucifying the flesh, it's Being led by the Spirit isn't this like, well, I wonder if I'm being led by him. You'll be led by him if you stay in his word and crucify, crucifying the flesh. The Spirit speaks through the word and he causes us to grow and sanctify and to become more holy and to crucify the old man. That's how you know you're being led by the Spirit. The church consists of those that have been called out of the world. That's what the word church means, ekklesia in the Greek. It's literally the the church. It's ek, out, and kaleo, called. We are the called out ones. We've been called out of the world. The spirit, if it's truly in your life, is leading you away from the world, not towards it. And so if you're in a ministry that is being led to become more carnal, more worldly, at best, you're in a ministry that is out of kilter. At worst, you're in a far more dangerous situation. Be careful. Be careful. So again, when a church or a pastor or the elders of the church start implementing policies or strategies that make the church more carnal and worldly less, and less biblical and holy, be careful. And here's why that's important, because it's going to take people that are truly being led by the Spirit to stand up and say something. Too many churches have been led over cliffs in the last decade, all because it was assumed that wherever the leadership is taking us must be of the Holy Spirit. For heaven's sakes, they have the title pastor. Every pastor is being led by the Spirit, right? no. No, many carnal pastors got into churches and ran them over cliffs and nobody stopped them. I've got news for you. It is very possible for the leadership of churches to be operating in a way that has nothing whatsoever to do with the Holy Spirit. And if you need proof of that, look at the churches in the book of Revelation. You wanna know how quickly demonic spirits entered the first century church? This is how quickly it entered, the church at Pergamum. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam. A demonic spirit manifested itself through the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. What was the result of this stumbling block? Greater carnality so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. This is how, this is how Satan works. The church at Thyatira experienced the same thing, but I have this against you. that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself what? A prophetess. Folks, go on Christian radio, go on Christian TV. You will find no shortage of people that will gladly call themselves prophets, bishops, prophetesses, you name it. And we go, well, they have the title prophet, self-given, by the way. (laughs) They must be led of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, they have this cool title doesn't mean anything. She calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to what? Greater carnality, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, those are pretty blatant forms of carnality, but trust me, many false prophets will enter into the church and will get the church to seduce the church to subtle forms of court carnality. And we go, well, it's just a subtle form of carnality. What's the big deal? Discernment is discerning not just between what is right and wrong. It is discerning between what is right and almost right, folks. Almost right is never good enough for those that are being led by the spirit of what? Truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. You'll know you're being led by him when you're being led in truth. If you're ever being led somewhere where it's almost truth, it is not the Holy Spirit. This is how he works. Now, what's important about this little passage right here is that word right there, tolerate. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel. When you see a church that begins to tolerate that which is worldly, fleshly, or carnal, folks, that is when the red light should be flashing in your head. That is when they should be screaming. The sirens should be going off. For the life of me, I cannot understand how people who call themselves Christians remain in churches that now tolerate what the Bible so clearly identifies as carnal, worldly, or fleshly. I can only assume that those Christ, the Christians that are there are fighting the good fight and trying to turn that church around. But in many cases, I think it's just the fact that many of them aren't actually Christians. The church is filled with non-believers, and so many churches, the, the reason they can't stand is that the gospel hasn't been preached there, and the Spirit hasn't changed lives, and so it's a, it's a dead church full of dead people, and that that's, gospel needs to go there. Now, this leads us to a third test you can employ that will help you discern between what is actually the Holy Spirit versus what is the demonic knockoff. The true work of the Holy Spirit will always be marked by order, clarity, and self-control order, clarity, and self-control. To put it in the opposite terms, where you find disorder, confusion, chaos, this is not the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you a biblical example of what I'm talking about. So, during the worship services in the first century at the church at Corinth, things started getting out of control. Everybody was using their spiritual gifts in a crazy way. Now, I got to say, Dr. Greg Tonkinson, I think he's in this service. Dr. Tonk, raise your hand. Are you here? Oh, he, he's do, actually, he's doing filming in the back. He's on our, on our team. Um, he's speaking next week. And I gave him the doozy. I gave him spiritual gifts. So I, I'm dumping that one on him. And he's going he's gonna to enlighten us on that. But here's, here's, here's the deal. In the first century church, people were using their spiritual gifts, but it was creating chaos and disorder. So Paul writes to them, and I want you to look at the order, all of the order that is in this passage What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. Again, we'll let Dr. Tonkinson handle that next week. Let all things be done for the building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be one or two or at most three. So he puts a cap on it. That's order. And each in turn, that's order. And let someone interpret, that's order. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. That is order. Let two or three prophets speak, that's order. And let the others weigh what was said. Uh, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, order. For you can all prophesy one by one, order so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And here's the key of this whole passage. For God is not a God of what? Confusion, but of order or peace, depending on your translation. Our God is a God of order and peace. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate if tongues are today. For today, again, I dump that on Dr. Tonkinson next week, so you're going to want to show up and see what he has to say on that. I want to focus on what is the main point of this, and that is our God is not a God of confusion but of peace. What this means is that whenever the Holy Spirit is genuinely at work, you will find things like order, stability, peace, and self-control. There are many ministries out there that teach That when a person comes under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they are no longer in control of themselves. By the way, there's a teaching out there that there is a second blessing or a second anointing of the Holy Spirit that you have to have. Folks, that is not true. There is one baptism and we're all baptized into it when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? There aren't two classes of Christians, those that... Are now Christians and those that got a second blessing or a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is one baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, then the Spirit has come upon you. You've been baptized into the Spirit. But there are those that are going to say there needs to be a second anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive it, you are going to, in many respects, lose control over yourself. That's not the Holy Spirit. Look at, what the, look at what this verse 32 says. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, the Holy Spirit will never move in the life of someone in a way that will cause them to lose control over their ability to be in control. If I have a genuine prophecy to bring to this congregation, and by the way, the, the true prophet today is the one that says, thus saith the Lord. You don't ever want me to stand up here and go, hey, I got a word from God. If I say that, I'm not being led by the Holy Spirit. If you want to hear God speak, read his word. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read his word out loud. This goes to the inerrancy of scripture. Most churches believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Very few believe in the sufficiency of scripture. The sufficiency of scripture is God has spoken perfectly and this is sufficient for all we need today for life, godliness, and how to grow the church. We don't need more words from God. If this was given to us one hour ago, would you be seeking another word from God? No, you'd be reading this. But folks, this is every bit as living and active today as it was 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Folks, if you are listening to someone on TV online that says, I've got a word from God, if they don't open the Bible and say, here's the verse, that's not the Holy Spirit that's leading them. Thank you. The Holy Spirit will never move in the life of someone in a way that will cause them to lose their ability to be in control, fully in control. So if someone says, well, I was under the influence of the Holy Spirit and I couldn't help myself. What you need to tell them is that's not the Holy Spirit you're under the influence of. This is confirmed for us. What are the fruits of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Our God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where the Spirit is genuinely moving, you will find self-control, not people that are out of control. So here's where I'm going to step on some toes. But some of you, maybe many of you need to hear this. If you are ever in an environment where people are falling to the ground, supposedly unconscious, unconscious, or flopping around, or twitching, or convulsing, and can't control themselves, or any other type of behavior where people no longer have control over their motor functions, know for certain that is not the Holy Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. And you're going, Bill, you're just discrediting a lot of ministries out there. I'm not. God's Word is. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Where the Spirit is truly manifesting itself, you will find order, you will find stability you will find self control look at the miracles that are recorded for us in the pages of scripture when you, we're told today that when the spirit moves people lose control of their legs and fall over the miracles in the bible when jesus healed people's legs they gained control over their na- legs not lost control of their legs they were able to stand up not fall down when jesus healed mute people they gained control over their tongues not lost control of their tongues So I would expect when I see the Holy Spirit guiding someone's tongue, I'm going to see order, stability, uh, self-control, not somebody who's out of control. Look at the miracles. Let's do a case study real quick, and I'm going to wrap things up. Let's look at a fascinating case study of of out-of-control and in-control. It's from Mark chapter 5 they, that is Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the, county of the, uh, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So we know this is an unclean spirit because the Bible tells us it's an unclean spirit. He lived amongst the tombs. Telltale sign, uh, this man's living in the tomb. Something's not right. Well, he's got an unclean spirit. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had Uh, He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Now, let me just stop right there. So, this man has an unclean spirit and he has incredible strength, which I don't know if that's common amongst demons, but it is in this particular case, which makes me wonder. You guys ever watch those shows with cops, like the real ones, like the, like cops. Remember the show Cops? So, Whenever, there's times when there's like five, six, seven, eight police officers taking down one guy and they can barely do it. And of course, we're told by the news, well, that person's probably on PCP or something. And he might be, or she might be, but we who are discerning might know they might be under the influence of something else, right? Watch those shows, folks, not with the eyes of the world. You watch them as a Christian. You want to see demonic, demonic spirits At at work, turn on the show Cops. You'll see people with bizarre supernatural strength that it takes seven, eight, nine officers to take them down. They'll tase them and still not get them down. And sure, it might be drugs, but it might not. And you and I understand that. The world's going to give us a, a, a physical explanation when we know that there very well might be a spiritual one. But back to our passage. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and among, on, on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones, totally out of control. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, come out of this, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And this is a scary thought, folks. Many of us probably encountered demonic forces this week and didn't realize it. And it wasn't just one demonic force you encountered. It was a legion of them. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the the steep banks into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what uh, what it was that had happened. Now, Jesus had just performed a, a miracle in the power of the Holy Spirit. What would we expect to find? Order, stability, self-control. What do we find? Exactly that. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had been, who had, had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. This is what the Spirit does. He always produces order. He brings control. He brings stability. People are in their right mind when they're under the Holy Spirit, not out of their mind. And I'm going to tell you, I see many ministries where people, it's almost like people are out of their mind. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. At best, that's a ministry that's out of whack. At worst, it's something far more dangerous. So I conclude with this, guys. It's very simple. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. If we're not doing it, who's going to do it? For many, false prophets have gone out into the world. This was written by John in the 1st century. Folks, we are 21 centuries into world history now on the positive side of Christ's birth and resurrection. We're 21 centuries from the time of Christ. How many more false prophets do you think are in the world today? Folks, they're everywhere. They are everywhere. And I got news for you. We turn on the news and we are very discerning. We go, "Look at what's going out there. What's wrong with the world out there?" Not even realizing what's happening in our very presence or in our very homes. In our very homes, this is what Satan does. He masquerades as an angel of light. Folks, you are called to be discerning. The Holy Spirit is, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you have what you need to discern. You have the word of God. You have the spirit of God in you. Discern, be discerning. Do not be afraid to be courageous and stand up when people pastors or well-meaning leaders get out of control. Hold them accountable. Don't let them get away with it. Just because somebody has a, a, uh, the title of a pastor or teacher or they have a, a seminary degree or a PhD, that should not impress you at all. Do not be impressed with the things that the world are impressed with. You be impressed with the Word of God. Amen? And you stand for what is true because the Spirit of truth resides in you. So I finish with this challenge, and here it is. Keep your guard up. Your discernment strong and test everything. And if you need encouragement of a man that did that, he's right there on the screen. His name was Martin Luther. He was discerning 500 years ago and you were sitting in a Protestant church that is preaching the true gospel because of him. One man who was courageous, who discerned what was right and wrong and stood up to powers that were so incredibly strong that it, it, it was gonna cost him his life. That would have been the, the least that he would have sacrificed. It would have cost him that and everything and his family and everything else. But he stood up and was bold in the midst midst of incredible power. He kept his guard up. He kept his discernment strong. And here he tested everything. And here we are enjoying the fruit of his ministry. Amen.